0: The real MVP. A by James.
1: I'm Michael Jordan.
0: Stop it. Get some help. He's on fire. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about
1: practice. Hello and welcome. The two guys, one hoop. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me again is
0: Jalen Dixon. What's up, guys?
1: Nice to have you back once again. This is uh, I'm excited. I look forward to these podcasts with you, Jalen. I hope you uh, <laughs> I hope you're having fun so far. Even though we had some struggles um, today, I, it's been <laughs> it's been fun.
0: Yes, and sir. I, kn- I mean, it's all good.
1: I know. Like you talked uh, on the last episode, you're like, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch these games through the lens of you know what we've talked about in the post um mm-hmm. let me start there let me ask you so what were your thoughts um based on our analysis of the previous game going into this game um how did you how did you view what we said versus what happened well i think the biggest thing is we
0: talked about the variances right when you talk about mainly The Boston Celtics shooting, not just specifically in the fourth quarter, everybody hones in on the crazy 40 point fourth quarter. But the truth is the shooting variance was one of the biggest things we touched on. We kept saying we went through, we said Jason Tatum's not going to shoot like that again. He's just not. And he comes out of the game leading score for the Celtics, bar none at 28 points. We also said he's not going to have double digit assists again only had three right but on the other end of that we also talked about the three-point shooting for some of the other guys al horford marcus smart and Derek white specifically well let's talk about it al horford literally didn't attempt a single three-point shot marcus smart hit all i mean he missed all three of his attempts and Derek white was the best of that little group at two or four from three so that alone again we're talking about al horford coming off of easily one of the best games of his life not just from three-point land but just in terms of being an overall score and impact on the floor both sides and in this game quiet extremely quiet and I think that was really important in terms of this game because we knew it was coming and we understood that this was a Boston team that came out hot and we understood also that Golden State is a team that lets other teams shoot threes we saw in the Dallas series Dallas was getting them up the issue was they were hitting 33% on open catching, uh, catching shoot wide open threes. Well, Boston wasn't doing that and they reaped the benefits of it. So I think that was the biggest thing is the shooting variance showed its hand the way we said
1: it would. And, you know, they struggled. I don't really know what to attribute the Al Horford part of this to because it's not like he was, you know, three for 13 or something. He only mm-hmm. shot four shots. Right, I don't. And in 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 shot no threes in the, in a game where he was coming off a six for eight, I think, like career level mm-hmm. three point shooting attempts in the playoffs. Right. So I, I don't. What do you think? Because I'm really truly like I'm open. I don't think there was anything defensively necessarily that the Warriors did uh, in terms of keeping him from. Having shot attempts like I, mm-hmm. I I didn't see anything in the game that was like because there was a couple times honestly where Horford had open shots, uh, particularly threes, and he just didn't take them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like what was it something that they did? Was it something that he just didn't pull the trigger this time? I mean, I
0: think that's a good way to look at it. The pulling the trigger thing is interesting. I think they just also took guarding the three-point line a lot more seriously this time. If you look at the last game, especially between Derek White, Al Horford specifically, Draymond Green kind of sagged off him and let him shoot. And the idea was that he was going to – Draymond, I guess his perspective is, we're going to find out if he's actually going to be able to knock these shots down because we we said it in the very first uh, episode when we had previewed this that – I mean, it wasn't like Al Horford was knocking down threes consistently. He was going to have to be a guy that stepped up from beyond the arc to stretch the floor. If they're going to play big, he can be physical inside. But that ability to stretch the floor is huge for their offense in general. And guess what? Al Horford had himself a game. But, Brian, I mean, on top of that, look, he played 27 minutes in this game. He hasn't played less than 30 minutes in a playoff game since the last game of the Brooklyn series. So I think that also kind of show you how ineffective he was. And that's not even to mention that Robert Williams was a shell of himself. Something we talked about was going to be a big deal on whether or not he was going to be able to stay in the mix and stay active. And in 14 minutes, two points, two rebounds, one of one from the field, two blocks. That's definitely good, but also two fouls and just looked injured. He just Mm, looked injured. And that that impact inside, that lack of presence inside for them it put it put Boston in a really weird hole
1: yeah and my in my opinion I'm not taking too much away from this game I will Mm -hmm. say that I do think that the things that we talked about in terms of adjustments that the Warriors could make uh they made you know and I'm not gonna pat myself too hard on the back here but (laughs) the got 11 minutes and uh you know they played that that Porter lineup uh, a little bit more he he got 15 minutes this game with Otto porter but those were quality minutes you know and and mm-hmm. he was plus 24 you know right um again i don't kind of live and die by the plus minus but i think those are important minutes that you know if you can be up plus if you can be a plus uh when your bench is on the court you're gonna win most of the time right, right. if you win those bench minutes and I also think that Gary Payton Jr., which we weren't sure if he's going to play, we didn't know, but him playing obviously made a difference. It, it 100% did. I was kind of surprised. I don't know how you feel about this that they put him on Tatum instead of of, of Brown, but it mm-hmm. seemed to work in terms of, you know, Tatum was lights out behind the arc. He was six for nine behind, behind the three point line and three for 10 inside, which is just weird mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
0: So I think the biggest thing is, and I mean, we discussed it to a certain extent was like the whole Jalen Brown speed advantage thing kind of favors Gary Payton as being the primary defender on him. And of course, Jalen having a solid game one would make it where, okay, maybe the best defender has to be on Jalen Brown for matchup purposes. But I think we all understand at the end of the day that the go-to score for Boston is Jason Tatum. And at the end of the day, perimeter defense, in terms of perimeter defensive acumen, Gary Payton's their ideal way of utilizing him is to be a one man stopper, right? He is a Mm -hmm. guy that you put on one of the better players on the perimeter on the other team. And he is meant to, shut down not maybe not uh, completely right but he is meant to be the primary defender for him and the main thing is we have to make sure that we also understand that both uh, both on the defensive end and the offensive end like Gary Payton almost kind of acts as like a small ball four for this team uh, a la Bruce Brown for the for the Mm. Brooklyn Nets right he has this idea where he's going to be a three-point shooter slash dunker spot guy on offense but he's going to be a guy that can be versatile across the board that can guard one through four maybe one through five if they're playing a small ball lineup, which Boston was kind of left dealing with a lot. There was mm-hmm. a lot more Grant Williams than normal, yeah, in this game. In this game, maybe not the normal, because it's throughout these series, he's been pretty effective, but especially with no Rob Williams. Grant Williams was getting a lot of center minutes. That's more so what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the big thing is when you talk about Gary Payton, I think that they understood that they needed a guy to keep Tatum down because if there was going to be anybody in this, especially we saw it again, come halftime, things were close. Golden State was up this time, but things were still relatively close. Curry had, had another good start as we had saw in game one. And one had to kind of wonder if the, oh, here we go again, kind of thing <laughs> kicks in. And by putting your best defender on that on that guy, being Jason Tatum, it gives you a little bit of a confidence boost. We talked about the athleticism on the perimeter being a must, and I think it I showed up. And I mean, it even came down to the point where, you know, I think that this, I think that Gary Payton in this series in general is the game breaker for mm-hmm. Golden State moving forward, too.
1: Yeah, I think that you just saw the way that they played when he was on the court in terms of like defensively. Uh, it seemed like they were just much more comfortable when he was mm-hmm. on the court. And um, I kept watching him on offense and seeing, like, you know, what, you know, is he going to, how, how are there, is their offense going to work um, with him? And honestly, he, uh, he set one hell of a screen on Marcus Smart that opened up Steph for a three. And I think Ben, Gund, uh, ben Gundy or, or Jackson even pointed out, like, that was a great screen by, I think it was Ben Gundy, mm-hmm. he was like, that's a great screen by Peyton Jr. And so I rewound it and watched it. I'm like, man, as a guard sitting that screen, that's what you want to see from a player who isn't necessarily going to give you a ton offensively in terms of creating buckets or distributing the ball. You know, you don't want him to just sit in the corner and wait to catch the ball and shoot it be active right. in the pick and roll, be active in the screen as a screener, you know, and he is, he, 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 he freed up a clay on another three clay ended up missing it. Um, and that's a whole nother ball game talking about clay struggles, but, um, he, he's doing the little things and that's the stuff that like maybe Jordan pool doesn't do, or, you know, whoever else they put in that role, you know, even clay hasn't been real active, um, And I I love clay like clay is one of my favorite players to watch because he's just, his stroke is so smooth and and so like natural, but Mm -hmm. I watched, I I watched him set some really awful picks and it's like, (laughs) I feel like he's like shying away from some of the physicalness of the game because of maybe the injury, but that's neither here Mm -hmm. nor there. Um, What do you think about Boston in terms of adjustments leaving this game?
0: I think the weird part about it is that Boston doesn't have many, many things that can really take away from this yeah. game in terms of being able to prove because I think that, Golden State got a significant jump on the defensive end and that change in athleticism from game one to game two. I think now the main thing that they're going to have to understand is Gary Payton. The second is going to be a factor in this series. Yeah. I think that's number one. I think the other thing is, from an adjustment standpoint, they're going to have to figure out what life without Rob Williams is, mm. because I think that they're going to be without him at least going in game three. Just from the way he looked, I don't know if this is going to be something that he can play through. And we know about the whole coming off the meniscus injury a little bit sooner and everything seemed kind of cool in the last series. When he came in, had himself a pretty solid double double against the heat. I think it was game three Mm -hmm. or game four is one of the two. I think it was game three though. And it kind of got maybe maybe got Celtics fans a little like fat cat happy in terms mm-hmm. of the understanding that like, oh, Rob Williams got through. He's playing very well. Dah, 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 dah. But we have to also understand that like Rob Williams has not been effective on a consistent basis throughout this postseason. He's given you a game, maybe two, but he hasn't really been he he's he's kind of been more of a, a of a force by name alone in some of these games where it's simply his presence alone is kind of creating its own effect, but yeah. in terms of him truly being effective, it's kind of hit or miss on a night-to-night basis. I think the other thing too is that the, I mean, the role players have to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go through, I mean, Derek white was third on the team with 13 shots um, behind Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum at 19 Jalen Brown at 17. But after you go after Derek white, The next highest, you know, amount of shooting attempts is Peyton Pritchard with seven and he only played 18 minutes. Mm, So I think it's just this idea of they like oddly fell into this, this state that they, they were in earlier in the season and moved away from when they got Derek White was they, 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 Almost in game two fell back in love with this isocentric game Mm -hmm. that me and you have commented on before is one of those things that if they're going one-on-one iso ball, we know that Golden State has the team defense. And now with Gary Payton in the mix, the athletes to be able to hang with those guys if there's just one-on-one scenarios, but these other guys got to, these other guys got to attempt shots. Like I said, Al Horford, he had 12 shots last game. He only had four Mm -hmm. no three pointers at all after just knocking down six i mean it's just simple stuff like (laughs) that that is just kind of like the variance is so significant where it's like i understand you had a hot game and you don't want to you know you don't want to put that fire out too bad so you want to kind of let that thing stand but you gotta you have to be a threat offensively and if jason tatum and jalen brown each have double digit shooting attempts, and then the rest of the starting lineup being Rob Williams, Al Horford, and Marcus Smart comp- combined for only 11 shots yeah. as a grouping. Like that lineup alone, you're saying, okay, Jason, Jay- uh, you're either Jalen us Jalen, Jason, go get us a bucket. We'll yeah. kind of figure the rest out. We'll just be out here. And that's what it looks like. And I understand that they're high-volume scorers, but that's not what won you game one. Jason Tatum right. took 17 shots and hit three but those other guys took shots and they made buckets and that's what mattered. So yeah, that would probably be the biggest thing.
1: I I totally agree with you. And I don't know that there's a lot of adjustments that can be made here. It Mm -hmm. seems like they are kind of stuck in a rut. Right. And and I don't know, like if I'm advising, if I'm I'm advising MA and I'm telling him like, okay, this is what you should be doing. Um, or you know, as an assistant coach without Robert Williams in those minutes, you mm. are either going to have to play dice grant Williams and, or some form of Peyton Pritchard in those minutes, right? You're not probably going to go any deeper into your life. Cause they don't really, I'm looking at their, I mean, they don't have a big team, like unless you put Nesmith in some kind of rotation as a four, which that's not, I mean, he's a small forward, um, and he's not necessarily a a, a, a killer <laughs> a rebounder. He's athletic. I, I just don't know for a team that's super deep because I do think that Boston has, has depth and it's served them well. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a lot of big bodies outside of Horford, Williams, and Tice. I mean, Grant Williams plays power forward, but he's the dude's small. Like he's he's a brick house, but he's not tall, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it puts you in a very awkward position against this against a Golden State team that for being small, even when they're small, they rebound the ball extremely well. Like Mm -hmm. Steph is an underrated rebounder. He goes after rebounds. Obviously we know Draymond's an excellent rebounder. Looney is a great rebounder. Um, But Wiggins is also, he did a terrific job on the defensive boards and offensive Mm -hmm. boards. He got several second chance points for them. Um, So, you know, I, from the beginning, kind of talked about how robert williams to me was the key to this series because mm. just the way their defense plays when he's on the court is ridiculous and i think mm. you saw it in this game like and you know we didn't talk about it but there was a moment when marcus smart rolled up on his knee uh, and i don't know mm. that he played right. after that i don't i think if he did it was like he was hurt and he wasn't right. effective so and, and the other thing too is like you see with robert williams he blocks three point attempts. Like this guy has got some defensive, he's got defensive motor. And I know, um, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm overselling him a little bit, but I I truly think that he is, uh, even though Marcus smarts defensive player of the year, Robert Williams makes a lot of this work for, for Boston. And without him, well, they're in trouble. Uh, I really truly believe that I still think that they're going to win the series at this point. I don't see anything in this game that necessarily changed my opinion on that. I think this was just a bad game. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at game one versus game two, it's like two. And I I said this too in the the last podcast, Boston is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. One minute they're like, (laughs) right? you're like, this team is unbelievable. Who could beat them? And then they come out and they throw a stinker out like this where it's like, wow, wow, this team is terrible. How did they make it to the finals? Like I, I cannot remember another team to go this deep in the playoffs with such high highs a huge ceiling and such a low floor it boggles my mind um and the thing that you have to remember is this is a this golden state team is not a team you want to play with like you don't want to mess around if if you've got them if you got your foot on their throat you need to press it down and you need to finish the job mm-hmm. um and i'm just worried about boston not having that mentality i think you may does i think certain players on the team do but i don't know as a collective that they do I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: I mean, I think that's an interesting thing to focus on. And it's funny because the, the narrative to me was the exact opposite coming out of game one. I think everybody was saying, oh, this Boston team that had no, no finals appearance games and things like that coming into it. Oh, they played above their payway. Um, nobody is scared. Everybody is ready for the, for the big stage, just that in the third. And now we're coming out of game two and saying, oh, maybe that was just. Them being a little bit in over their heads, essentially, and kind of swinging for the fences and and actually being able to land punches while doing Mm -hmm. so, so to speak. Right. But I think one of the other things, too, is Golden State played them back physical. And I think Mm. that's really important because I think one of the biggest things is they came into this series. We we talked about this in the preview. They were, fee- they were viewed as the speed demon team, right? Yep. They're the team that wants to get up and down. They're the team that wants to play with space, play with pace a lot as well, and try to get as many possessions as humanly possible. But to me, I think when you look at it, let's go through the box score of a couple of things. Three-pointers, both teams shot 15 of 37. Well, if they're going to both shoot even threes, I'm going with Golden State because yeah. I feel like their threes are going to come at a better time, or they're going to matter a little bit more in terms of overall the complexity of the game because we know that when some of these guys hit a three it turns their whole game around yeah, right yeah then let's move on to um points in the paint golden state wins points in base battle 40 to 24. I think that goes as a big sign about Robert Williams not being yeah. super effective and missing a lot of this game. Like I said, he only played 14 minutes earlier. So I mean um in this game. So with that being the case, you could you could clearly see that Golden State wanted to take it at Boston, understanding that they were softer in the middle because Daniel Tice is already a guy you could pick on in the pick and mm-hmm. roll. And Al Horford is not a guy you're going to ask to be a rim defender around the okay. basket and thanks, you're not one that you're going to rely on on a regular the to defend Jordan Poole uh, floaters or Steph Curry finishes, right? That's not the kind of guy that you want relying on that in space, but still as a main, as mainly as a rim defender. And then the next one or, or the last one, and I think probably the most important one is points off of turnovers. Yeah. Golden state won 33 to 15. Well, we joked on the preview for this. Golden state is the team that's we're so used to hot dog and playing mm-hmm. around and end up wasting possessions. But in this game, they only had 12 turnovers and they, they were able to kind of hold down the four, again, only 15 points off of 12 turnovers as opposed to forcing 18 turnovers on, on Boston and being able to create 33 points out of that. So I think if, you, if you're saying that Golden State wins points in the paint, something that based on the size advantage you would typically give favor to Boston in, if the three-point situation is going to be played even as opposed to completely skewed like we saw in game one, and then... Golden State is going to, oh, goodness, actually take care of the ball? Mm-hmm. Well, now you have yourself a pretty decent recipe to get blown out by almost 20 points. Yeah, You know what I mean? And that's the kind of Golden State basketball that we saw earlier in the season when everybody was healthy. The defense was flying around and guys were playing effectively. That's what came out.
1: Um. Also, I think it's a big deal is uh, Boston had 43 rebounds and Golden State had 42. Again, they were virtually even, which they were in the last game too, which, you know, to me, like I said, if you're going to be that much bigger than a team, you should kill them on the boards. You you, should, you just should. Right. It should not be that close. And, you know, if you look at the rebounding Curry had six boards, Wiggins had six boards, green had five, Looney had seven, Bielitsa had five. And, you know, even Gary Payton out of Porter, both had three. I mean, you and you're and you're looking at your team and you're like, okay, well, how many Horford? Had? Horford only had six. He led the team. Him and Jalen Brown split the difference with six. That's not good mm-hmm. enough. That's not good enough. You know, he, he, I expect I expect him and Robert Williams to at least get eight apiece, and they had eight total. So, you, that's a, that whole everything you just said. I totally agree. And you throw in the rebounds; it's a recipe for a blowout. 100 agree. Who do you think going into Game Three? Uh, who truly has momentum here, if you believe in momentum, and who do you think is going to win game three? So, truthfully speaking, I feel as though nobody has truly
0: established any momentum because I think both games were skewed variants. Yeah. You look yeah. at game one, the three-point shooting for Boston was ridiculous and it got kind of gassed up, but it was something that we understood was something that maybe not was duplicable, but you could see why it happened. If you look throughout the postseason, Golden State was probably – number one in teams that allow three-point shots Mm -hmm. throughout the postseason of all the teams that made um the playoffs so you could see why the situation was boston got a lot of three-point attempts because golden state gave up a lot of three-point attempts it's just the difference is boston isn't Dallas yeah. and so Boston knocked those shots down instead of missing them and then I think on Golden State's front their biggest adjustment was simply the fact that they were able to get a lot of athleticism into the lineup and that's a level of athleticism that in game one Boston didn't see and so that adjustment to that on ball pressure especially from Gary Payton look no offense to Andre Godala, but I think the best thing that could have happened to Golden State is him going down with his neck injury for game two, <laughs> yeah. because I think it only put further emphasis on needing Gary Payton the second to play. And he played for a guy coming off of injury. Right. He played 25 minutes. He played more than Jordan Poole. Yeah. Like, like you <laughs> know what I mean? He played yeah. more than John Jordan Poole and he was on the floor more than Kavon Looney. <laughs> right. Right. And so that that goes to show you just how important he was. But this is why I say I think he's going to be the game breaker for them, because I think that his on ball pressure is going to be so important. And like if you go through the statistics for it, seven points, three rebounds, three assists was three of three from the field, missed his free throws, knocked down a three pretty much was flawless throughout the board in terms of not being a guy who turned the ball over. Yeah. He didn't have any steals or blocks, but you could feel his pressure mm-hmm. if you watched the way he was on ball with certain guys. Yep. And he's just a glue guy defensively. That kind of makes things work, especially when you talk about the guys like clay Thompson, for example, that are maybe a little bit defensively hindered, but I also mentioned this to you, Brian, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. One thing that I thought was really interesting was that I thought draymond green played more within himself Mm. in this game in ways that i think are going to be a lot more effective for this golden state team but the kind of team they're playing you look at what he did in this game 34 minutes nine points five rebounds seven assists Only three shots was two or three from there, but five of seven from the free throw line, seven attempts literally led his team in free throw attempts. That shows his physicality around the basket because we know Draymond Green's not going in and earning (laughs) fouls. He's getting them off of strong rebounds and things like that. But something that I think is really important when you read out that stat line is, yeah, the numbers aren't OD glaring, but if you remember, this is a guy who attempted 12 shots mm-hmm. last game. This is a guy who got a little too trigger happy. He, he attempted four threes. If we go back through the playoffs, he hasn't attempted four threes the entire postseason. His max is three. He took four <laughs> and missed all of them. He took three of he took he had three free throws, missed all of those. And 12 is his 12 field goal attempts is his highest since the last game of the Memphis series. Second highest of the playoffs in general. This was a guy who I think just came in trying to be offensive minded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not what this team need against a physical team like Boston they need him to be a physical presence that sets the table on both sides and as long as he's doing that we as in them know they have offensive weapons that can put the ball in the basket I thought that was the most glaring thing but I want to I wanted to get your thoughts on Draymond's play in this game
1: yeah 100% agree we you know I pounded Draymond uh, last game because you know when you have 12 attempts and only two made field goals and then you're a big over from the free throw line Mm -hmm. that's a terrible game. Like that's one of the worst games he's probably played in the finals um, of his career. Right. You know Um, but this game was probably one of the better games he's played because like you said, not only was he, you know, getting to the free throw line and making his free throws, but he was facilitating, he had seven assists. And that's what we expect from Draymond green, right. Is to pass the ball when, he initiates the offense in a, in a different way, right? Like mm-hmm. he's not a point guard per se, but what they like right. to do is they like to run that handoff. And there were several times when we saw, Oh, you're going to overplay the handoff. I'm going to take it to the rack. I'm going to get fouled. Oh, you're going to overplay the, 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 the handoff. I'm going to find somebody else open. You're not going to overplay it. Okay. Well then Steph, Jordan pool are going to knock down those threes, right? Like, so it makes the, that play their signature play in, incredibly hard to defend when he makes the right decision, right? Mm-hmm. And there's only a few people in the league that can truly run that play as effectively as Draymond. And I right. feel like in the first game he was pressing it a little too much. He was taking the shot where they were playing off him and like, hey, take this three, and he was like, okay, I'm gonna take it. And right. I, I appreciate the confidence to be like, okay, I'm gonna take this and not get down. But when you're o for four and two for twelve maybe you shouldn't be taking that shot. And I think he's, right. smart, he's smart enough to know, like, that's not, um, that's not wise. But to me, the biggest, like I said, the biggest number here, is seven assists, one turnover. And definitely, and also his attitude. I mean, he was a bulldog out there. You know, he was mm. chirping. He got that technical early on and he kind of was like, okay, they're not going to throw me out of the game unless I do something mm. truly, truly agrarious. Uh, right. Agarious, is that the right? How do, how do you say that word? Anyways. Um he was like, I'm just gonna say a bunch of shit and see what happens. And that's what he did. He he ran his mouth the whole game. He was like he was just going at it with Grant Williams, which I was kind of (laughs) looking forward to this the whole time because I knew that those two um I I don't know if you caught this, um, but somebody caught it on Twitter and I love it, is apparently at the free throw line. Uh Draymond is great to free throws and he says to Grant Williams, You you're trying to be me, you're not me. Uh keep trying and i was like it's kind of true it's kind of true i mean grant williams is a a prototype of draymond right small Mm. a small power forward who uh likes to talk um so (laughs) yeah i truly think that draymond's performance is kind of what set this game off from the jump like him being draymond that we know and love or you know Mm -hmm. know and hate like he was all the things that he should be in this game and he might be the key for them. Like Gary Payton is certainly the key in terms of like they need him to win, but Draymond mm-hmm. is the the floor general that they need. That's the way I right. do it, you know. Um, so are you picking are you picking Boston in game three?
0: Yeah. So I think this is going to be Nick and nip and tuck. And I think it's going to be like a very like yo-yo-esque series. And the weird part about that is because me picking Boston in six, it kind of means that they're going to have to steal another one on the road because I think that they're going to split at Boston as well. And I think they're going to have to steal that other one on the road at Golden State and then finish it at home. That's where it's got to be done. And I really, and to me, I still think the series comes down to game six. I think that whoever wins game six is the champ, because I mm-hmm. think if Boston finishes it there, I, I think, I think Boston's best chance of winning the championship is by right. finishing at home. Okay. While on the other front, okay. I think if Golden State steals that and it does end up going to a game seven, I I don't love an idea of Boston going back, you know, to Golden State, a team that, again, outside of game one, had not lost a home game the entire postseason, Mm -hmm. had only lost three games in total the entire postseason. Right. And all of them came on the road at the time. Um, So I think one of the bigger things is. Right now, I think that Boston is going to get it together. I think they understand the athleticism that's being out there now. I think the other thing is, too, like, I think you can walk away feeling kind of good. Like, Jordan Poole had himself, like, a solid shooting night, but he wasn't scary. Mm -hmm. Steph Curry still very, very hot in the early going, but very quiet or quieter, I would at least say, in the second half. And 11 points from Andrew Wiggins. 11 points from clay Thompson, one of eight from three for top for, uh, for clay. I think you walk away from that game saying like, okay, like they knocked out some shots. There were some things that happened. We might've missed a couple of bunnies on ours, but I think the biggest thing for Boston was they just didn't take the ball. They didn't take care of the ball. Yeah. And that, I mean, because if you look at the biggest swing stat, we talked about it a little bit earlier, being that points off, uh, off of turnovers, 33 to 15. Well, that's what about 18 point differential where they lost by 19. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that all, I mean, that's not a perfect one-to-one, you know, analysis, but it's one of those things that I think if you clean up the turnovers and take care of the ball a little bit more, that alone can help significantly because that was one of the biggest things that game broke uh, that broke the game open because outside of that and points in the paint, these teams were even.
1: I certainly agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think Boston wins game three. Um, i'm not saying that like whoever wins game three wins the series
0: mm-hmm. um no.
1: but yeah. i definitely think that the if golden state really truly has a chance to win this series
0: mm-hmm.
1: they need to take game two and i'll tell you or game three and i'll tell you why
0: okay Be-
1: because if they can go up to one it gives them a uh, home court again right it gives the swings home mm. court back in their favor. And it takes a lot of pressure off of golden state um, to win multiple games in a row again. Mm. Right. So if they can win these, if they can win game three, they can afford to lose game four. Right. Cause then they're two, two going back home or they can go up three, five going back to Boston. So then, you know, that puts them in a position to not, you know, to go to a game seven. So, right. But if you go down to one, that puts so much pressure on you to win Game Four. That if you don't win Game Four, series might be over. Right. Uh, I know that's a weird way to look at it, but to me, Game Three is super important for for both these teams in terms of how this these next games are going to play out. Because um, going down three one isn't we know it's not a, not a death nail. They I mean, gave up a three one lead and they've came back from three one lead, but it's just mm. a lot harder to do. Um, and I think that if you win, if you go up two one and go back home two two, it puts you in a much easier position than if you're down two one and you got to win back-to-back games then to get to a point to even push it to game seven. So that's right. the way I'm looking at this. And I think Boston wins a game because I think they win the series ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think we see them, Put a little bit more effort in their first finals home game. Like they're going to come mm. out ball so wall, and it's going to be really, right. really hard to counter that punch. Is my opinion. So,
0: and I, I just kind of speaking of it from the Boston perspective. You talk about the important importance of it from Golden State's perspective. I'll just put it this way by saying, Boston also doesn't want to let this snowball either, right? Yeah. You don't want right. twenty. You want a, You don't want a near twenty point blowout to then kind of supersede into something much more than just a one-game variance the same way it was for them in game one. Again, same thing with Golden State. The last thing that they wanted to do was get – home court taken away from them in games one and two, right? It flips the script by them winning game one, but you don't want to lose that significant advantage by also dropping game two. And I think they came up with that certain level of urgency. Well, I think on the other side of that, Boston doesn't want to come home and let this thing get out of hand because the last thing you want to do, like you mentioned beforehand, is let it go three, one heading back to golden state. Oh, well this thing gets cleaned up there. I think. So there's that certain level of urgency on their side too, that like, okay, All right, got humbled a little bit after kind of throwing those punches early. Now we have to lock back in in a way where now in front of the home crowd, in front of the home crowd, again, first finals in a minute, you're hoping that those role players that were quiet in game two they play better. Role players always play better at home. Yep, yep. Your hope is that that translates positively and that some of these other guys that play get that, that kind of boost that they need in order to play effectively. And it shows out. And I mean, Boston might take both of these with the mm-hmm. kind of home crowd yeah. advantage that they might have. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see how that goes about it.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, I think in my opinion, uh, it certainly seems like the more likely scenario that Boston goes up 3 one, going home or uh, going back to Golden State, Golden State wins that game, and then they close in Boston. That's how I would see the series play out, honestly. Um, But, yeah, that's why I think – and that's truly why I think this is such an important game for both these teams because Boston can really put them on their heels, right, if they win this game. Um, And then, again, you know, they win that game, then home court swings back, right? So – Right. Any last thoughts before we close this this sucker down?
0: Um, I mean, I think my biggest – Or my final take in terms of all of this going into game three is that I think everybody has to understand that we still don't know a whole lot. I think Mm -hmm. that the first two games, we felt out things in a different way. And I feel like our analysis is obviously obviously from game to game going to change. But I think that our viewership on this series has not really given us a true understanding of where this series is headed. Game one, Boston came out as a different animal, and I think a lot of people thought that them coming off of the physical series that they had with Miami, that they were going to come out flat footed. instead they actually came out jumping out the room, right? And on the other side of things, Golden State was able to respond significantly, and they got a little bit of an injection in their lineup that, again, we mentioned early on, we were a little worried we might not have even been able to see with mm-hmm. some of the reports dealing with Gary Payton and Beyond just that, there was a certain level of pep in their step that definitely showed in game two that is going to be kind of important moving forward. So with those two drastic swings and difference, I don't think that we've really met a middle ground where we're like, okay, I think I understand what this series is doing right now. So I think right now, game three is going to be the one that where you cut the string. This is this is the one where we learn the most about where this series is heading and just how effective either one of these teams can be against one another in order to be able to close this thing out.
1: I totally agree. hundred um, percent. Yeah. I think this is kind of the one where we figure out uh, what adjustments are set in stone. Are there adjustments that can be made and, you know, going forward who, who really is the better team? I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. All right. Do you want to tell us uh, where we can find more of you on the internet? Yeah, man. So um, doing a lot of work for the Baltimore Sports
0: and Life. Plan on having at least an article or two done by the end of this week, especially with all this Utah stuff going on. So that's probably going to be one of my bigger things that I focus on, along with maybe some final stuff. But we're going to see about that. I think I might let the finals play out and then kind of respond based off that. So a lot of stuff on the Baltimore Sports and Life. We're also doing BSL Sports Radio, the NBA show podcast podcast. Um, for that on there, that's typically every single Wednesday. um This started last weekend. Something that we're going to try to continue into the off season. So that's been a lot, lot of fun. And I wasn't able to get to it in between our podcast, but you can if you if you look it up. By soon, it will be the knockdown J. For right now, it's still Basketball Genius One. I'm going to get to it eventually. I've just been really busy over the weekend with some family stuff, but that's also happening too. So a lot of that stuff is coming. The knockdownj.com should be a thing by the end of the week. So beautiful big things ahead
1: i can't wait for it uh i will um put a link to baltimore sports and life in the show notes if you want to check out jay's writing um it was a pleasure once again and uh i look forward to talking to you after game three
0: definitely man looking forward to it
1: that's gonna do it for this episode of two guys one hoop you can always find us um or you can always email us i almost forgot the email two guys one hoop that's the number two guys number one hoop at gmail.com email us let us know what we missed uh what your thoughts are who's winning the finals um and um, you know we'll uh we'll read those emails as soon as we get them all right that's gonna do it for this episode catch you on the flip side